0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. We had a special guest this morning for Daily Thunder. Colonel Kevin Boren was in town for Ellerslie's Pastors Leaders Summit and was willing to extend his stay in Windsor a few extra hours to bless us with this powerful, very manly message.
1: All right, good morning, everyone. I'm uh, excited to be a soldier in the United States Army. And while I've answered that call, I'm actually standing here before you today as a soldier in the Lord's Army. And that is a charge that we all as Christians have been called to keep. So this message is for all of you. And please uh, don't let the title of the message cause anyone to tune out. The title of this message is Man Up! Going all in for Jesus. But you know what? If you're a lady here this morning, here's why this message is for you. Do you have a husband or a father or a brother or a son or maybe a boyfriend or a fiance or an uncle, a grandfather, a man in your life that you care deeply about? Then I need everyone to please listen because God has put some things on my heart that I'm very passionate about and I'm really grateful to get to share my passion for Jesus with all of you. And that message title, I don't want it to cause anyone to tune out. Uh, but you know, remember, today is a, it's a call to action. So we're called, as I was just saying in my prayer, we're called to action. We, we are not saved by our works, but we in fact were saved for good works. Amen? Because in Ephesians 2.10, that's exactly what it says. It says that we were saved for these works that God planned in advance for us to do. So I want to start this morning by telling you a little story. So there's a swordsmith who likes to make swords, because that's what they do. And sword, a swordsmith takes a, a piece of raw iron ore, not unlike this, I'm kind of holding a something similar to a railroad tie in my hand here. And so it's a piece of raw iron ore and you know it's usually larger than this and it's kind of a big clump and what the swordsmith does is takes this raw piece of iron ore and puts it into the fire and this process is called drawing out the sword and what happens in in this process is the swordsmith puts it in the fire heats it up it gets very very hot white hot you might say and it looks I have a little picture here So it gets so hot, just like uh, the swordsmith is is hitting this piece of raw iron ore, and it causes the, the raw iron ore to get soft and malleable. And what he'll do is he'll pull that raw iron ore out of the fire and he'll hammer it and pound it and mold it and shape it. And what he's doing is he's beating out the impurities. And then he puts that raw piece of iron ore back in the fire to get it hot again, because as it's out it cools, gets it hot again. And it's really important that the swordsmith watches this process closely and carefully because if he leaves it in the fire too long, then it can ruin this, this precious metal. So it's really important when a swordsmith is going through this process that he watches it carefully. He can't just leave it unattended and then go away. And sometimes this process, depending on the quality of the sword, can take weeks or even months to get a a sword perfectly formed, perfectly shaped for use in battle. And I love this illustration because I think that it is a great picture of what God does in our lives to bring about growth and to refine the impurities. As he grows us in Christ-likeness, That's what this this illustration, this picture, kind of puts in my mind. And that is certainly true in my life, how God has removed impurities from my life and continues to remove impurities from my life, putting me into the fire and then taking me out. Sometimes I can cool off, and then I gotta go back in the fire to remove those impurities. Well, God has a message on my heart today for Christians, specifically Christian men, Men who claim Jesus as their savior, but maybe they've got complacent. There's a lot of complacency in 21st century American Christianity, in my view. And I think a lot of Christian men are living lives that are wholly inconsistent with someone who's been bought and redeemed by the blood of Christ. If you've been called to that life of obedience to Christ and his commandments, You know what Jesus says to you? He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. So will you join me, Christian warriors, this morning? Men, can we we say collectively, we are ready for this call to action? We're ready to step into the fight. We're ready to do what God has called us to do. We're not gonna sit by and be complacent. In fact, we wanna know the importance of God's word in our lives so much that we know what we believe, why we believe it, how to live it, and how to share it. And I think that's where we've got to get as men, is understanding those four key things. How do we understand what we believe, why we believe it, how to live it, and how to share it? It's my observation that too many men are completely willing to just be amused. You know the word muse means to think, and A is a negative article that means not. So amuse, not to think. We're amusing ourselves to death. I mean, look around you, right? You see it all over our culture. People are just completely immersed in amusement and they're not thinking. And men, we've gotta lead the way on this. It's not an option for us. It's pure disobedience in my view and I take that from God's word because if you look at 1 Peter 3:15 and 16 one of my favorite passages in scripture it says but in your hearts set apart Christ as lord always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within you but do this with gentleness and respect so we're always supposed to be prepared to give an answer we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit this morning but suffice to say man we got to man up We've got to be intentional about each role God has given us, and then we have to embrace God's vision for our lives, not our own vision, but God's vision. We need to stop playing video games while Rome is burning, and we've got to get engaged in the fight. There is a battle, and it's a very real battle. And of course, I as a U.S. Army soldier have found myself on a physical battlefield, but all of us as soldiers in the Lord's Army are on a spiritual battlefield, and it's waging around us right now. And it's a serious battle. And you guys can see the demise of Western civilization right around us, am I right? I mean, just look around what's happening in our nation. But you know what? Jesus Christ is on the throne and God is sovereign. So none of this caught him by surprise. We can stand in that truth and in that confidence. But we've gotta raise our next generation intentionally and purposefully to stand for truth even if that means standing alone. And I do believe that probably in my children's lifetime, they're going to suffer persecution as Christians like we've never seen in America. So in the army, we we wear rucksacks when we go out to battle. okay? And we have this term that we say, I'm going to put some rocks in your rucksack. Well, men, um, this is going to be a fun exercise for us this morning, but we're going to put on our rucksacks, and God has put... In, in this case this morning, five rocks in our rucksack. And we're going to talk about each of these five rocks that God has placed in our rucksack. And the first one, I'm calling, uh, manning up in your marriage. So this first rock is, now remember, this is the burden of leadership, men. Okay, so these rocks that are in our rucksack, yeah, they're going to get heavy, but God's going to carry us through this. He's going he's, he's to help us carry this rucksack. So you don't have to do this, In your own strength. In fact, you better not try to do it in your own strength because it's going to be futile. But I want to tell you a little story because this first one speaks to our calling as a husband, right? Manning up in our marriage. So there's this island and it's got several tribes on the island. And there's a man and his family in one of these tribes and the man has several daughters, beautiful daughters. And one of the daughters is, well, let's just say she's kind of plain to look at. She's not real easy on the eyes. And uh, this father is concerned that he's gonna have trouble marrying off this daughter. And so the, the going rate on this island for a, a woman's hand in marriage is four cows. So if a young man wants to marry one of these women, he needs to go to the father and offer four cows for her hand in marriage. It's kind of the bride price, right? Well this father kind of makes it known to the people of the island that he'd be willing to take two cows for this particular daughter. Okay, tries to do it a little subtly. Well, in sails this uh, handsome, young, strapping warrior of a man. And he comes to the island. After a couple weeks, he's kind of been making observations. He sees all these pretty women. But he kind of is drawn toward this one, this this plain-looking young lady. And so he goes to the father and he says, "Uh, Sir, I would really like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. And the, the father is blown away. I mean, he's, he's just, he's taken aback and he's kind of thinking, wait a minute, are you looking at the right daughter? And, and the guy says, yes, I, I want that daughter. And he says, okay. And the guy says, and I would like to give you eight cows, double the going rate. I'm gonna give you eight cows for her. And this father is overjoyed. I mean, he is thrilled beyond belief. Well, A couple years go by, so they get married, a couple years go by, and this woman becomes the most radiantly beautiful woman on the island. This man was praying for her, caring for her, washing her in the word, and he was treating her with great honor, love, and respect. And so what I want to submit to you men is I'm going to, I'm going to guess that on your wedding day, in your eyes, your wife was radiantly beautiful. And so if you have now traversed some terrain in your life and you're maybe a few years down and, and your wife doesn't seem so radiantly beautiful anymore, maybe she's got a scowl. Maybe she's got a down countenance. You know what, men that happened on your watch. We need, to, we need to man up. And this is our responsibility, men, to love and pray for and care for and wash our wives in the word. In fact, let's look and see what God's word has to say about this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. of his body. This is the charge we've been given as men when it comes to loving our wives. That is a very, very high calling and a very high bar that we cannot do in our own strength. We must depend on the Lord to give us the ability to fulfill Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 30. So what is this Christ-like love I want you to think about this. In um in Romans 5 8, Paul writes, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So I want you to think about that because Jesus didn't wait until we were totally acceptable and worthy before he started loving us. He actually tells us right here that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. So, men, that's the that's the call that we have with relation to our wives. We don't wait for her to be the perfect wife that we're looking for before we love her. In fact, we love her no matter what. It's a covenant that we took. We don't wait until she's all cleaned up and acceptable and pretty. No, no, no. We do what Jesus did. We go there while, you know, he went to the cross while we were ugly, while we were disobedient, while we were rotten sinners. My favorite definition, this is from a dear friend of mine. My favorite definition of Christ-like love is this. Christ-like love aims for holiness, purity, and maturity in the life of my wife. Let's let's hear that again. Christ-like love aims for holiness, purity, and maturity in the life of my wife. The fuel that propels, I mean, think about this, the fuel that should propel our love for our wives should be a Christ-like passion for those three things. To keep her separated from sin and present her holy before God, that's the holiness. For her honor and moral purity, that's purity. And then for her spiritual maturity, that's the maturity. Those three things should be right there at the forefront of our mind as we lead and love our wives. This is how we man up in our marriages, men. Look how Peter puts it. In 1 Peter 3:7 he says likewise husbands live with your wives in an understanding way showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you feel like your prayers are hindered? Sometimes you wonder if maybe you're not getting the prayers aren't making it through the ceiling and they're not getting up to heaven? I wonder if sometimes we feel stifled in our prayer life because we're not living with our wives in an understanding way. We're not esteeming them and honoring them as co-heirs of the grace of life. We see right here in 1 Peter 3.7. Men, if you're going to be obedient to God and understand your wife, then you need to know what's going on in her life. And I'm not talking about you know stalking your wife, but you need to know her daily schedule. You need to have an understanding of what's happening in her life so you can be praying specifically. Um, one thing I like to do is uh, I like to have a, I have this little card in my wallet, a little, little piece of paper I've printed off that I keep with me. And um, this is something with the burden of leadership as a, as a husband, there's a lot of times where I try to think, how can I really encourage and love my wife? And, you know, we love to go on dates. My wife and I like to go on our date night. And... Over the past several years, our, our date nights have kind of transformed. It used to just be solely focused on kind of fun stuff. And we still like to do that, don't get me wrong. We still go and like to have fun. But I've, I've really tried to treasure those opportunities with my wife to, to really grow in our love for God and our love for each other. And so here are some questions. I'd like to have you guys maybe agree with me that we're gonna commit this week. Let's take our wives on a date and ask her a few questions, ready? Let's see here. First one. Sweetheart, what's one major issue on your mind that's weighing you down? Weighing down your heart, making you afraid, frustrated, or concerned? How about that for a date night question? Here's another one. Number two. You know, sweetheart, I really want to minister to you today. So can you tell me if there's anything burdening your heart? How about this one? Honey, what makes you feel that I value you? Now, wives, you need to be thinking about your answers in case your husbands you know, ask these questions to you. <laughs> so you, you've, been given a, you've been given what we call in the army a warno, a warning order. Um, how about this one? Okay, get ready, guys. Okay, you have your seatbelts? Sweetheart, when is the last time I led you in such a way that you felt as adorned, pure and radiantly beautiful as you did on our wedding day. How about that for a date night? A little different than, you know, popping some popcorn sitting in front of a movie not thinking. <laughs> Just a little bit different, I don't know. How about this? I'll give you a bonus one. This one's free. You don't have to pay for this one. Um Sweetheart, what is God teaching you in your study of the word? Right, we're we're to disciple our wives and our children, right? So what is God teaching you in your study of the word? Of course, there's an implication there that she's studying the word. And an implication there, hopefully, the assumption is that we're studying the word, right? So these are some, maybe a little bit of a shift in your thinking for date nights. Just a thought. Keep that in my wallet. Pull that out every once in a while. Not every day it's like that. Okay, I don't want you to, you know, think that this is, you know, every week it's, when was the last time? When was the last time? When was the last time? But, you know, periodically, try that. See how that works out. Man, if you want entertainment, how about entertaining some tough questions with your wife and truly investing in this marriage and building with God's help, a fortress. You know, a lot of times we pray for hedges of protection. I've kind of shifted a little bit in the wording when I'm praying because I think of a hedge and sometimes they can be about this high or this high. But when you think of a fortress, what do you think of? Right, I mean, we think of a fortress as this massive barrier, this huge wall. And I wanna build a fortress around my marriage and my wife and I can sit in that fortress and be protected from the attacks of the enemy. So let's build a fortress and let's entertain some tough questions to truly get at where we are in our marriages and our relationships with our wives. I challenge you this week to go on that date. Now let me give a little, uh, a little encouragement to the single men. So think about this. Somewhere in the world right now, if you're a single man in here, somewhere in the world right now, there's a young lady who's gonna be your wife. She's somewhere out there. She might be dating someone right now. If you had the opportunity to pick up the phone right now and talk to the man that's dating your future wife, because they're not gonna get married, she's gonna marry you, what advice might you have for him? Okay, I want you to think about that, right? (laughs) Wait a second. So hold on, let me get this right, Kevin. So there's someone dating my future wife? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, now let's make that a little bit more personal, right? Because that might be, that's one thing. So I'm gonna tell this guy, hey, um, maybe you don't wanna kiss her. You know, I, I kind of wish you wouldn't kiss her. Um, I don't know about you guys, men that are married in here, but if some guy walked up and just started kissing all of your wife, you know, it'd be a little awkward and it'd probably, you know, we'd probably have a little fight to pick, okay? And uh, I might bring in the entire artillery of the United States Army on that particular <laughs> objective. So, so, but let's think about this. Let's, let's kind of change it up a little bit. Let's say the girl that you're currently dating, single man, Okay, you're the single man, you're dating this woman, and you don't know, but you're you're not gonna marry her. She's gonna be someone else's wife. How ought you to honor her when this is gonna be someone else's wife? Because maybe you're in a courtship phase, and maybe that courtship's gonna end in a, you know what? I think we're we're gonna be better off as friends. So she's gonna end up marrying someone else. How can you not get right up to the edge in that relationship? Okay, this is where I, I see a lot of men in relationships is they wanna get, you know, even, I'm talking about Christian men here, right? They wanna get just as close as they can without without actually doing anything that would technically be dishonoring to God, right? That's a really dangerous game to play. How about this? What if we say, I'm gonna do everything I can to stay as far away from the edge as possible and to truly honor this young lady no matter what, even if she is gonna be my wife, because I'm not married to her yet. So men, single men, and I recommend this for everybody, but especially our single men, 1 Corinthians ten thirteen is a really good scripture to memorize and to meditate on. And it says, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when, not if, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out or a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. So listen to this. Jesus was tempted and yet without sin. So temptation in and of itself is not a sin. We all know that. Or if you don't know that, there you go. It's right there in God's word. Temptation, Jesus was tempted incredibly, but was without sin. What happens is when that temptation, when we succumb to it, then we're sinning. That's when we fall into the trap and Satan's lair. In Satan's lair. So we've gotta be really mindful of that. And I just wanna encourage you to always fight the enemy with God's word. And that's not Kevin's model. That's Jesus's model, right? Remember when he gets taken out in the desert and Satan's tempting him with all these things and telling him to do this and do that. And Jesus always comes back with God's word. That's our model. Jesus is our model. Okay, That's, that's the first rock. Second one, let's man up in your home. Man up in your home. So this is a big rock too. If that first one wasn't big enough, here you go, here's another one. Man up in your home. This will speak to our calling as a father. Now first, I wanna, I wanna explain something because we gotta understand the battlefield that we're on. And I think uh, if I can bring a military uh, analogy to this, uh, not surprisingly, um, the, the important thing when you think about the battlefield is according to God's word, we're born enemies of God, children of wrath, deserving of God's righteous wrath. But God, right? God does something through his Holy Spirit to transform our lives and to call us into his kingdom. But we're born enemies of God. So, you know, we call these, uh, we, have, we have fights, which is usually like between two people. We have a battle, which is maybe between two units. And then we have a war, which is between two kingdoms. Okay, um, so let's kind of bring this in. So we're having a fight. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go into the fight. I'm gonna you know, bring my best effort and try to take out my enemy. Uh, and even in a battle or even in a war. But I want you to think about something because whenever we study the enemy, we always wanna understand their tactics. And that way it helps us to prepare to make a good defense and it also informs our offense when we understand what the enemy's tactics are. Um, and I was thinking about this, one, because when I was deployed to Iraq, I was thinking, you know, oftentimes we get in this mindset that when the enemy's shooting us, that the, the best way to get back at them is just, just to kill the enemy. And that's gonna have a, that's gonna certainly have an impact in a battle if we're just killing the enemy. But i tried to think this in kind of spiritual terms, and and what if we did it this way? What if I could get a group of covert, Operation Soldiers to sneak in behind enemy lines, to g- scoop up a whole bunch of enemy soldiers, convert them, bring them over to my side, and we train them to fight on our team to fight against the enemy. What just happened? So I can, I can kill the enemy on the other side and that decreases them by one. Or I can bring that enemy over here, convert them to my side, and now we've increased by one, and they've decreased by one, right? So it's, it's actually a, a better position for us because now we are even stronger than we were before. And that, that picture, I want you to just get in your mind because this is what we're doing in our homes. We are, we are taking our children who were born enemies of God, and Satan is really excited that he's got them in his kingdom. And you Christian parents are saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to train these children and raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We're going to bring them to God's kingdom. Do you think that Satan likes that? Do you think he's just going to sit by and go, eh, that's fine. I'm I'm cool with that. No worries. I got plenty of others. No, no, no. He's going to fight for every last one he can get. And we need to be fighting for every last one we can get. And these two kingdoms, thankfully, we have God's word, which tells us that there's an ultimate victor and his name is Jesus Christ. And that's the team we're on, that's the kingdom we're in. But just understand why there might be a lot of tension in your parenting and why there might be a lot of tension in those relationships. It's because there's a spiritual battle, a spiritual war being waged right there in your home because the enemy of darkness wants to keep that child in his clutch and in his grip. And you're trying by raising them and teaching them God's word to bring them into the enemy—I mean, uh, God's kingdom and taking them out of the enemy camp. Does that help give you a little visual of what's going on in our homes and why it requires God's grace, it requires perseverance, it requires us to be diligent, it requires us to be on our knees in God's word. and and really petitioning heaven in prayer for these souls that Satan would love to cling to. Man, this is the battlefield we're in. Now, I want to share something with you because years ago, my family, um, we attended a, a homeschool convention. And it was our first one. It was called the Teach Them Diligently Homeschool Convention. First time they had ever done this I think it was 2010, if I'm not mistaken, in Spartanburg, South Carolina. And we get out to this convention, and I just was kind of pondering the name of the convention, teach them diligently. Well, let's see where those words come from. Um, oh, you know what? I have this not up on the slide. Hang on. So here's, here's where these words come from. No, actually, I want let to. Me, let me back up. I do want to go to this first. In Ephesians 6, because this speaks to where I'm going to go with this part about teaching them diligently. So right here, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now remember, that's exactly what I was just talking about, right? This is the schemes of the devil. He's coming after us. He's coming after our children. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand firm. From Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 13. That's the image God gives us in his word. So this whole thing I was just talking about with the battlefield, it's not something Kevin made up. This is is what we get from God's word. And it's so important for us to understand that the Bible informs every aspect of our lives. And and the Bible is going to inform all five of these rocks that are going in our rucksack. So understanding that battlefield then, I want you to to think about, I'm I'm seeing this teach them diligently and I'm trying to make this connection between the battlefield, the armor of God, and then teaching them diligently. Teaching them, teaching my children? No, 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 no. Look, this is what it is. You shall teach them diligently to, to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down and when you rise. This is Deuteronomy 6, 7. So let's, let's kind of look at that for a minute. You shall teach them diligently to your children. So you, it wouldn't be you shall teach your children diligently to your children, right? So what are, what are them? Well, the first six verses of Deuteronomy 6 are the statutes and commandments of God. That's what we're being instructed here in 6, 7, verse 7. We are being instructed to teach those statutes and commandments of God to our children, diligently, not passively, not occasionally, diligently. If you said to someone, I want you to be a diligent worker, what are we really saying to that person? We want them to be someone who is consistent. We want them to be someone who is very serious, who perseveres, who's focused, who's intentional. That's diligence. That's what we're, that's what we're commanded to do, men, for our children. And so I really thought about this, and it, it, it was bothering me when we came back from that homeschool convention. It was, and, I, and when I say bothering me, I just mean it was, it was heavy, it was a burden on my heart. It was really powerful what was happening in my spirit. And I just looked at a couple things. I said, okay, teach them all the time to my children. What is them, okay, I, now I understand them. So the first question that I brought, that was brought to my mind was this, since the inerrant an infallible holy Bible is the final authority on all truth. Could it possibly be sufficient for teaching my children? Could Jesus really be enough? Think about that question. I woke up one morning um, about a week after that, and I was having I was just I was having some dreams about 2 Timothy 3 16 to 17 that talks about all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work." And then I came across a commentary that talked about this teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And the way the commentator put it, I thought was really neat. He said, teaching, rebuking, correcting, training is like teaching him what is right, what is not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Teaching, rebuking, or reproof, correcting, and training. What is right, what is not right, how to get right, and how to stay right? Mom and dads, moms and dads, listen to this. What if when our children left our home, they knew what was right, what was not right, how to get right, and how to stay right from God's word? I would would look at that and I'd say, that's a pretty successful raising of my children. But the world's going to throw a whole lot of things at us and tell us there's a, a million other things that are more important than that. And I'm not saying that you know we don't teach our kids other things and other subjects. But what I'm saying is the central component of our education of our children and discipleship of our children is the Word of God. And I really contemplated that seriously. And I thought, okay, Lord, if I'm going to be obedient to you, I'm really, really going to need to focus on training my children in this because... I thought, you know, if my kids grow up and, and they go off to Harvard and they start their own business and they're multi-multi multimillionaires. Luke 9.25 says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul? I've really taught him nothing. If I haven't grounded them in God's word, then I really haven't taught them anything. And now my child goes out into the world and they reach success as the world defines it. But we see right here how God defines it. And by God's grace and with his help, I'm going to do it. The second question that came to my mind was Ephesians 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Notice that first word. Everybody say it with me. Fathers. First word, everyone, fathers. So here's the question that came to my mind as I contemplated this verse. Am I training my children in the study of God's word and deliberately setting aside regular time to disciple them? You see, this is my responsibility. Right there, fathers. It's my responsibility to do this. It's not the churches, it's not the pastors, it's not Ellerslie. It's not Ellerslie's responsibility. Now, those are all fine. They can speak into my children's lives, and I think it's important that we do that. But the primary responsibility for the discipleship of our children belongs squarely on your shoulders, fathers. As a spiritual leader of my home, God gives me that command. I'm a soldier. I know what commands mean. You are soldiers in the Lord's army. You know what commands mean. They're not recommendations. That question really convicted me and caused me to make one of the best decisions of my life I've ever made as a dad. And now I'm enjoying the fruits of that with our children as I see them walk in the truth. But it's not over, it's a a lifelong, we do this our entire lives. And then third, God drew me to Psalm 78, verses one through eight. Listen to this. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be, now listen to this, guys, this is the warning, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Meditate on that passage, men. Take some time this week to meditate on that passage because there's a very big warning in there for us. And the question that God put on my heart after reading this was, am I being intentional about committing myself to teaching my children who God is and what he has done? What if Psalm 78 was the model I used In our home for educating and raising our children. I don't know about you, men, but I don't want to sit idly by and be considered a stubborn and rebellious generation, and that my heart wasn't steadfast, that I was not faithful to God. Are you with me? Finally, God impressed on me Psalm 1 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits. In the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Frankly, God showed me that I was not thinking like a Christian. And what do I mean by that? Well, Scripture must be the lens through which we see everything and we look at everything and we view everything in our lives. It must be the source from which we take all of our direction. Psalm 1 is one of the many scriptures God used to reaffirm our family's decision to educate our children at home. And please hear me for a minute. I'm not saying that every educational option is the same for every family, but here's what I am saying and what I'm encouraging you to think about. This is for anyone who hears this. Did you ever actually research every available option for the education of your children and then pray about what God would have you do? Or did you just fall into a default mode and say, well, I, was, I went to a government school, I went to a public school, so I'm just going to send my kids there. Or did you actually seek the Lord for one of the most significant decisions you'll ever make for your children, and that is how they're going to be discipled? Because make no mistake, your children are going to be discipled by someone. It's either gonna be you or it's gonna be someone who probably doesn't have a biblical worldview. Because there's a religion being taught in government schools today and it's called secular humanism. That man is the center of the world, man is his own God. And if you immerse your children in that all the time and then you sprinkle a little Jesus on them on Sunday for an hour, and then you expect some amazing results from that, um, I just ask you to ponder that and consider it. But really commit this Very significant decision to prayer. Because, man, it's not thinking like a Christian if we just fall into a passive default mode and just do whatever the the culture's doing. I desire desire that my children delight in the law of the Lord, like the psalmist said. And I'm going to fulfill my obligation to help them meditate on it day and night. And then through all those questions, um, I was really thinking about what John says here in third John one verse four, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. That's honestly, if there's anything that I would want to see in my life as a father and that, that rock that's in my rucksack, I want to see my children walking in the truth. I mean, really think about that. Is there anything else that could bring you greater joy than to know that your children are walking in the truth? I want to have that as the goal of education. And I hadn't really ever spent much time thinking through that question before this particular homeschool convention we had gone to. So I challenge you to do it because your vision may have been clouded by the so-called American dream. And I want you to ponder that because uh, I think it's an important one for us to, to discuss and to think about. So what else is in our rucksack? Number three, man up in your mission. Well, what is our mission? Well we have a great commission in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. That is the great commission. And I'm going to boil this point down to one illustration because I really think this is something that has been very deeply impressed on my heart. And when I considered this, it transformed the way that I view my role as a disciple maker. So first of all, fathers, if you're a father, man, if you're a father, you your, your primary discipler or, or disciplee is your children. So that's where your first focus goes. Do you know how many men that I disciple in their 30s and 40s that I wouldn't have to be discipling right now had their fathers done their responsibility? And these guys wouldn't have had the mess in their lives? I'm not saying that if you disciple your children, everything's gonna be perfect. What I'm saying is we can see what God tells us in his word, and when we generally follow, God, follow God's plans, then things generally work out the way that they should work out. And then when, this, when Satan's arrows come, we're more firm and more resolved and more able because of the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to defend those attacks from the enemy. So 2 Timothy 2.2, sorry. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men or qualified men who will also be qualified to teach others. Another translation says faithful men who will also be qualified to teach others. Now here's the, here's the visual I want you to have. So I have a son, my oldest son is Brady. And when I'm discipling Brady, sometimes I, I realize that I'm teaching him something and, and I just, I, I get frustrated. Like, oh, I just don't think Brady's getting it. So I'm, I'm telling him something but I'm not sure if it's sinking in and so I, I own that. I, I look at that responsibility, it's on me. I've gotta communicate better. And so in the army we have this thing called training the trainer. And I decided I was going to adapt this concept and it might make things more acute and understandable for my son. So I asked Brady one day, so training a trainer just means we train the people who are gonna train other people. And that's really what we see in 2 Timothy 2.2. It's four generations. The things you've heard me say, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, you entrust to qualified men who are also qualified to teach others, right? So one, two, three, four. Why does God use four? Well, here's how this manifests itself in my discipleship of my children. I said, Brady, I just, you, I'm not gonna hold you to this, but if you had a son right now, what would you name your son? And he said, I name him Kai. I said, okay, Kai. I said, now let's say you could name Kai's son, your grandson, what would you name him? He said, Micah. And then here's this, this, I was deeply impressed with this, God putting this on my heart. What if when I'm discipling Brady, I'm discipling him with Kai and Micah in view? and I'm gonna train the trainer, okay? So here's the deal. I said, Brady, as we're talking, I want you to be prepared to teach what I'm teaching you to your son. So let me give a a military illustration. If all of you right now, if I said, hey, listen, everyone, I have this M4 machine gun, and I'm gonna teach all of you over the next 30 minutes how to disassemble it and reassemble it. And then what I want you to do is there are 20 new recruits, army recruits, right outside the door here, and after I'm done teaching this to you, I need you to teach them, because they gotta go to war. Now in the army, we call that the pucker factor, and the pucker factor just went up, okay? Because now, it's not just Kevin standing up here, and I'm gonna teach you how to disassemble and reassemble an M4, and then you're just gonna have some knowledge in your head, You, you may have forgotten a couple steps, you might get it wrong, you just ask your buddy. I'm gonna tell you, no, 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 at the end of this 30 minutes, you each are gonna have 20 brand new army recruits you've gotta train. Are you gonna take a few more notes? You might even ask some questions. You might say, whoa, hey, whoa, hey, whoa, 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 can you go back to step four? I'm not sure I saw where that little pin went. You know, can we, can we get that right? right? You're gonna be a lot more engaged, and you're gonna be, you know, maybe you, you didn't get a lot of sleep last night, well now all of a sudden you're alert. Because now, I, wait, wait, I gotta teach, these, these guys are going to war? Tomorrow, and I gotta teach them how to assemble and disassemble their weapon, the primary tool they're gonna have to defend themselves from the attacks of the enemy? See where I'm going with this? When we disciple our children, I wanna have my son thinking, not he's just in a receive mode, but he's in a train mode. But why four? Why not just three? Well, think about it. Okay, so I'm my pinky, Brady is my ring finger, and then uh, Kai is my middle finger, and. My pointing finger, my index finger, is Micah. If I'm training Brady to train Kai to train Micah, then what happens when I go away, when I die, when God brings me home? Brady has trained Kai to train Micah, which means Kai is going to train Micah to train the next one, right? So I can go away, and the faith is going to continue to be passed on. But what if we didn't have the fourth? What if I just trained Brady to train Kai to be in a receive mode. See what happens? If Kai is just going to, if I say, Brady, you've got to be able to train Kai to teach Micah, then I can go away. But if I say, Brady, just make sure Kai understands it. Well, then Kai's going to be in a receive mode and he's not worried about training those 20 soldiers for war. So four is very powerful because then God can bring me home and the faith can continue to be passed on. Amen? Okay, number four in our rucksack. Your calling is a friend. So listen, men, um, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers around the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. So think about this. Um, we have a, we have a, um, this manning up on our friendships is an important thing for us to remember because we are, we are isolated on a battlefield without the horizontal relationships around us. And those horizontal relationships are a fruit of the vertical relationship we have with God. So we can't give something that we don't get, right? So I need to get something from God in order to give to the men around me. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen Discovery Channel or Animal Planet, but you'll see this. just want you to picture for a minute. There's a, a bunch of gazelles out in an open field, and they're grazing. And over here in the tall grass, there's a lion lying in wait, right? And he's looking through the grass. And that lion fixes its gaze on one of those gazelles. And this is fascinating. I, I encourage you to watch, watch another one of these videos sometime. That lion... When it fixes its gaze on that gazelle, it will pass 20 other gazelles that are right there to go, because it, it's got its eyes fixed on that one and it will chase that one. And then with a swipe of its claw, it'll rip that thing in half. This is the image that Kevin's not giving you that God is giving us in his word. First Peter 5, 8, 9, your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's the enemy we face. You need to have some godly friendships in your life because In the perfect relationship that Adam had with God in the garden, God said everything was good, 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 except one thing wasn't good. It wasn't good for man to be alone. And that was before there was sin, and that was before, think about this, before the fall. God says, man is alone. Now, man had perfect fellowship at that point with God, but God was was giving us an image of something, that he created us for relationship. And so he creates a helper. And we need other people around us in this life. Not that we get wholly dependent on them, on them, we're wholly dependent on the Lord, but God has graciously given us earthly relationships, physical people we can hold on to and touch. And, um, and, and I will just tell you, I have seven most trusted advisors. And I, I use these verses here as kind of a spiritual offense. This first one says, um, but for, why, for by wise guidance you can wage your war, but in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. And where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. So that one's Proverbs eleven fourteen. The other one is Proverbs 24, six. And these two verses are kind of a spiritual offense and spiritual defense. And I think it's really important for us as men to know that we've got men around us who are praying for us, who are encouraging us. And that fellowship and that iron sharpening influence that Proverbs 27, 17 talks about is incredibly important because otherwise we're going to be that gazelle sitting in an open field waiting for uh, the, the enemy, the lion, to come and devour us. And men, I would just encourage you to pray for relationships like that and then seek them out. Now the last, the last rock in our rucksack here is manning up in our vocation. My dad told me when I was 18 years old, my dad's a pastor, and, uh, and I kind of felt, my dad never said this to me, but I kind of felt like I had this responsibility to go into the ministry, just because I wanted to honor my dad. And then uh, I came in one day from school, and I'll never forget it, my dad was sitting there on the recliner reading the paper, and I said, hey dad, I wanna to talk to you for a minute. I said I'm really interested in going to the United States Military Academy at West Point and, uh, and joining the army because I was trying to decide between maybe going to a Bible college and becoming a pastor or going into the military. And my dad said the most freeing words to me. He said, Kevin, don't ever think that the only way you can be a full-time minister is to be a pastor. Because you know what God's word tells us? It says that the pastor's job is to equip the saints for the ministry. Who are the saints? It's us. We're the saints. The pastor's job is to equip us saints for the work of the ministry. And so those freeing words... My dad said, Kevin, if you want to go be an officer in the United States Army, go for it and be a minister in that way. Very freeing words for me. Colossians 3.23 says that we are to work heartily unto the Lord and not to man, right? Work heartily as unto the Lord, not to man. And so that's, that's my heart's cry when I go into work every day is knowing that yes, I work for a general officer, uh, a very you know, high powered officer in the United States military, but ultimately my supreme commander in chief is Jesus Christ. Bloom where you're planted. And uh, and the way I do this as far as living out my faith, and I'm just gonna give you a quick illustration on this, just so you have an understanding of uh, one way that you can live out your faith in a secular environment. I do a welcome brief with all of my soldiers when I first get into a job. I bring them all in and I talk to them. Right up front I say, listen, now on our uniforms, uh, it has my name over here, Boren, and over here it says U.S. Army. I cover up the U.S. Army, and I say, for the next hour, this is Kevin Boren talking. This is not the U.S. Army. I'm not representing the United States Army and the things I'm gonna tell you. I wanna tell you who Kevin Boren is, because I believe that we as the Army were a values-based profession, and there are seven Army values. Loyalty, duty, respect, selfless service, honor, integrity, and personal courage. Do those sound familiar? Yeah, they're not the Army's invention. Okay, those, those come from a thing that we call God's holy word. So they spell out leadership, by the way. So leadership, those are the seven army values. And I believe those seven, va- seven army values rest on a foundation of trust. And we can't really trust each other if we don't know each other. So I'm gonna take an hour to tell you about who I am and what makes me tick. And then my hope is that when I come and sit down with each one of you one-on-one over the next 30 to 60 days, that you will feel comfortable telling me who you are and what makes you tick. And I'm gonna shut my mouth and open my ears and I'm gonna to listen to who you are. So I'm gonna be vulnerable and transparent right now to share with you who I am. And then what I do is I say, I start out by saying I'm a God-fearing man. I'm a Christian. And what I really mean by that is that I'm a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. Now you don't have to agree with that, but that's who I am. And my faith is the very essence of who I am. Jesus is the very essence of who I am. I can't separate my faith from my body any more than I could separate my blood from my body and continue to live. So my faith isn't just an hour on Sunday, it infuses every fiber of my being and every molecule of my body. It informs every conversation, it informs every decision I make, it informs every interaction I have. My faith is central to who Kevin Boren is. Now, I go in, and, I, and I, obviously I'm not gonna do the whole hour here, but I go into in talking about four ways, at least four ways, that my faith will have a direct impact on them. And that'll be for a separate session. You'll have to come talking about that later. <laughs> so I wanna encourage you one other thing you can do in the workplace. Do you pray for your boss or that coworker that you can't stand? You pray for them. It's kinda of hard to hate somebody that you're praying for. I don't know, I just, maybe it's just me. But when I'm really you know, bathing someone in prayer and asking God, to give them grace just as he gave me grace, my heart tends to be for them. And I start to be encouraged to love them in a Christ-like manner. So that's another way that we can live out our faith in uniform or in the workplace or in whatever sphere of influence God has given you. So men, this is what it means to man up. We must go all in for Jesus. Now listen, it's very important note, you can't do any of these things, as I said at the beginning, you cannot do any of these things in your own strength. You must lean on the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit because if you do any of these things in your own strength, even if you have temporary victories, you will ultimately lose the battle. You will lose the war if you try to do it in your own strength. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Instead of trying to love your wife, lead your family, make disciples, be a friend, or lead a marketplace in your own strength, how about this? Ask Jesus to love your wife through you because he's the bridegroom. Ask God to lead your children through you, because he's the perfect father. Ask Jesus to make disciples through you, because he's the great teacher. Ask Jesus to be a sanctifying piece of iron to your friends through you, because he's the greatest friend we'll ever have. Ask the holy God, creator of the universe, to lead your soldiers or lead your people, lead your business, lead your congregation, wherever you are in life. Ask the holy God to lead them through you because he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Amen? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close with the, to finish up this story. I talked about the swordsmith earlier. And I didn't tell you the best part of the story. So the swordsmith keeps that iron ore in the fire, out of the fire, in the fire, out of the fire, sometimes putting even it in water, right? Cooling it, putting it back in the fire. And they're doing this process of drawing out the sword. So I'm holding this sword right now because I want you to see something. Do you know how the swordsmith knows When the sword is done, it's when he pulls it out of the fire, he looks in the sword, and he can see his reflection. Men, God is refining you in the fire, He's refining me in the fire, He's calling us to a higher purpose. And here we are, it's our moment, it's our opportunity to be refined, to welcome the refinement, to welcome the fire, and to say, God, you know what, I trust you. Because you know what, here's where analogies always break down. The difference between the swordsmith and Jesus Christ the swordsmith is, guess what, Jesus Christ the swordsmith, he gets in the fire with us. That's amazing to think about. Our Savior walks through the fire with us. Look at Daniel and his friends, right? His friends get thrown into the fire. And who's in there? Hey, what's that fourth, what what, what is that fourth figure I see in there? That's our Savior. That's our swordsmith. The capital S, swordsmith, Jesus Christ we can rest in that knowledge, rest in that confidence that all five of these rocks that are bearing a burden on our shoulders and weighing down our rucksack are being lifted up by Jesus Christ, our battle buddy. And our swordsmith is going to put us in the fire not because he hates us, but because he loves us. And he's going to walk with us through that fire. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Holy God, Thank you for being our swordsmith. Thank you for the refining fire. It's not always fun when we're going through it, but God, please don't let us miss a single second of what you want to teach us as we go through that fire. Lord, that process is just as important as the end result, and we don't want to miss it. So please don't pull us out of the fire one second earlier than whatever it's going to take to accomplish your purposes, Lord. We trust you in this. We know you're a faithful God. We know you are our friend. Thank you for loving us and giving us the opportunity to partner with you to accomplish your kingdom business on this earth and help us to man up and to go all in for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen.
0: Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is delivered live and streamed daily Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. And our weekend service is streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellerslie.com.